0: Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise sovereignty was never ceded, and a treaty was never signed.
1: This is 3 our Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8:30am.
0: Good morning, everyone. The time right now is 7am, and it is Wednesday, March the 6th. You are listening to Wednesday Breakfast. I'm Will.
2: And I'm Idwin. You've got only two of us in the studio today. This is correct. <laughs> yes,
0: it's just the two of us. Um, we miss you, Dean. Hope you are able to join us next week. Mm, indeed. And we miss Judith. She's yeah. I don't know. I don't think she's
2: coming. No, back. I think, she's, she found, I think she's found her home in Monday and she's yeah. she's making a nest there. And I'm really
0: <laughs> looking forward to the show that she builds there. I know that's going to be... Um, Oh, gosh, my mic's been down this whole time. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, um, I know that um, uh, Judith is going to be a really great leader on that team, and I'm looking Only. forward to seeing what Monday Monday becomes.
2: Monday produces.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, so, today is Wednesday.
2: Today is pretty remarkable, Will. It's the first cold day yeah. <laughs> in what has been uh, a ridiculously long period of heat, mm, so I hope mm. everyone and I mean the plants, the rocks, the trees, the people yeah. are taking, and the animals are taking um, some refuge in the rain and mm. the cool. Mm. I know I am. Yeah, <laughs> mm.
0: yeah. Yep. It's been it's been a thing. I think mm. it's also been kind of humid, and so that yep. makes me feel kind of sticky. We talked about my problems with water in <laughs> the air before. We don't need to go over it again. I still haven't found out whether humidity is good for your skin. Um, mm. Stay tuned to this very exciting of <laughs> inquiry. Um, yeah, how have you been? What have you been up to? I
2: have been good. Um, I'm kind of excited. I'm looking forward to the Women's Day March coming hey. up. That's, yep. that's a massive thing. And if mm-hmm. you just heard the promo before, City Limits' coverage of it sounds pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So transportation from a female perspective. And just while I'm on touching on that, I'd just like to say it to say a thank you for the show before, which was Earth Matters. Mm. And we usually forget to do that, but Earth Matters is such great coverage. A really great show. It's It's worth a shout-out.
0: Sharks and rekindling our Mm. love for sharks and how beautiful they are. Yeah, yeah. I
2: thought that was a really good point. I just mm. got to sit in studio while we were organizing for this show, listening to this man just talk about his love for sharks for Mm. about 10 minutes. And I'm like, yes, this is fantastic. (laughs) This is how you should start your morning.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, Yeah. Um, shall we talk about what we've been up to? Because I went yeah, to sure. the Sydney Road Street Party oh. on Sunday. This is the first Sunday off I've had off in honestly a couple of months. Too long, and it's it was so good. I met up with a friend who was leaving for Tasmania, and we had a beautiful day listening to music, mm-hmm. eating food, oh, okay. oh. walking up and down Sydney Road, and getting sunburnt. Excellent. Looking <laughs> at all the cute dogs, people <laughs> ringing out their dogs. I mean, you can see dogs when it's not the street party, but um, Sydney Road Street Party. There were more dogs. Good dogs. Good dogs. Solid <laughs> dogs. <laughs> solid dogs. <laughs> I give it a solid dog out of 10. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you've been up to
2: anything? Yeah, so um, on Friday night, my mum and I went into the uh, NGV open nights. Mm. And I do suggest, it's a bit expensive, so yeah. you do need to check your wallet. Yeah, yeah. However, they are opening doors to Escher and Nendo, um, mm. which is pretty much the ticket and the... the Um, the, the gardens are open and there's lots of food to be had, a few concerts. Um, Mm. and for students, I'm just going to shout out on the 28th of March, there's actually a tertiary student free night. So if you're a student like me and very, very unable to pay $40 to go to an event, that's a free night. So that's the 28th of March coming up. And yeah, that'll be absolutely fantastic. So I hope to see a lot of, do you know if you have to buy tickets for that? Yeah, you do have to register tickets online, but they're free. Mm. So it's just about basically going, tick, I'll be coming.
3: <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Um,
2: the other thing we went to go see, at the moment, Acme, there's a fantastic little exhibit called The Clock, ah. which is uh, someone's project where they've strung together a 24-hour clock but using cinematography and movies. So every single second minute of the day is shown through different uh homages. Scenes to movies, from, scenes from film. from various films that feature a
0: clock in mm-hmm. Yes, that's fascinating. It is
2: fascinating. It's bizarre because it's just yeah. you, you go from like 1930s, 1940s cinema to like 1980s or you know pulp fiction to like black and white. Like right. it's it's it is bizarre, but it's yeah. fantastic. So that was a lot of fun. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that could be, and that's also a free exhibit. So Cute. I'm just okay. giving you the free stuff of them. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: for real, like free music, free art, good, good stuff. Um, get yeah, out definitely. amongst it. And, you know, there's so much in the city that we. Um, if you're able to, to get out and about it, then you you may as well. Mm, definitely. Um, Can we talk about what's coming on the show today?
2: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So,
0: um, just after we do alternative news, which is coming up in a moment, uh, we'll be hearing from Indigenous Rights Radio. They produce some really great, um, segments focusing on the, um, issues impacting on Indigenous people around the world. Mm -hmm. And this one is particularly relevant to what we're going to be talking about later on the show, and you'll hear more about this. But, um... This segment is produced uh, a commemorating uh, a woman named Khorah um who um, lost her life to dehydration and starvation after the authorities in South Africa denied her her, um, her traditional waters and her land and her ability to hunt on that land as well. And so, um, yeah, it's just sort of keeping to, to a theme across the breakfast shows, Mm. um, continuing to talk about, um, indigenous rights to their, to their proper lands. And, um, we're going to be hearing more about that in, in the case of South Africa today. Um, and then after that, um, we're going to have a little bit of a break at 7.30. We'll be hearing from Professor Libby Porter, who's a researcher at RMIT, and she talks about public housing. So, um, it'll be great to hear um, Professor Libby Porter's perspective on on the state of public housing, um, mm-hmm. where we are, uh, and then uh, eight o'clock. Oh, sorry, no, seven forty-five. So we're hearing from the CEO of Asthma Australia, Michelle Goldman. Um, Asthma yeah. Australia. Um, you may have seen they put out a, a health warning warning about the fires in Bunyip State Park. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah, and so we want to talk about what the what the health risk of the continuing fires are. As far as I know, they're still raging. Mm. the fires um, across Victoria, um, there are health risks associated with that and what we can do to look after each other and look after ourselves um, as the air gets dirtier and dirtier.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely something to keep tuned in with. Um, Mm -hmm. At 8 o'clock, we're going to be talking to Suzanne from the Australian Conservation Foundation, and we're going to be talking to her um, about the... Scott Morrison Climate Change Fund. And um, I've i had a little conversation with Mm. her prior to this, and I went, okay, so what are the good things to come out of this? And she was like, ha, 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 not much. (laughs) So we're going to touch on the few very limited positives, such as climate change re-entering our political lingua franca, Um, and then we're going to touch on quite a lot of the negatives Mm. and where this plan really does fall flat. Yeah, Mm.
0: and um, sticking to the theme of... um, Environment, uh, the environment and indigenous Mm. people's relationship to the land, um, and environmental catastrophe, unfortunately. We're going to be speaking to John Paul Janka, who's a host of The Point on NITV, National Indigenous Television. Um, tonight they're going to be doing a show, um, it's called The Point, it's a regular kind of show about current affairs, and in this case they're talking about the struggle of the Barkindji people who live on the Barka, otherwise known as the Darling River, Mm -hmm. and the way that the river has been depleted, flows have dropped down, and um, the Barkindji people are fighting for their rights to cultural flows. And so um, we're going to be learning a bit more about what that means and um, hearing um, the perspective of someone who's been working quite closely with the Barkindji people on this story. So very excited for the show Mm -hmm. today, Um, talking about land, talking about the environment, talking about water, and um, that's why you should stay tuned. Definitely. Everyone.
2: <laughs> we'll be back after um, our beautiful theme for Alternative News. So- oh.
0: time right now is coming up to 7.10 and you are listening to Wednesday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. Um, right now it's time for alternative news. Um, alternative news, it takes many forms across the weeks, so doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it we, does. <laughs> we talk about all sorts of things that we think are not being enough co- given enough coverage by the mainstream media or things that have fallen out of the 24-hour news cycle. And in this case, um, we're going to be talking a bit about a conversation that was happening about... Um, pre-colonial Indigenous history in Australia um, from the specific point of view of international relations. And I think that was a really interesting wow, viewpoint yeah. to take. So um, the president of the Australian uh, Critical Race and Whiteness Studies Association, Alana Lenton, um, who I believe has been on Tuesday Breakfast as well um, and is a fantastic um, um, a- academic and criti- um, cultural commentator, um, tweeted uh just the other day that um her nine-year-old the nine-year-old um had to do a school project on who quote visited quote australia before cook and um so they were they were doing a call out for Mm. all sorts of materials that are accessible um for for their child and so they reached out to people like indigenous X and other people like that and um everyone delivered Like, if you just read through this um, tweet, so I just want to preface this by saying that Twitter is a a terrible, terrible website, (laughs) and their algorithm and their policy, it seems, Mm. um, is shaped towards fomenting the most outrage as possible to creating really toxic spaces on the internet where people are attacked and that sort of... Um, the attacking voices are emphasised so that we can get more clicks and more, um, more comments and engagement. Yeah. But in this case, a beautiful, lovely thing happened beautiful where platform. people are posting all of these articles and scholarly papers about, for example, the history of Islam and in Indigenous Australia. Um, oh. In particular, the history of um, Macassan traders and the Yolngu people in what we now call the Northern Territory. Oh, wow. And um, this is something that I had a very sort of cursory knowledge of because I have Indonesian heritage, um, but was, um, was basically talking about the trade that existed um, for hundreds of years before um, um, British colonialism arrived in Australia in so-called Australia, um, where Macassan traders in their... Uh, Prow ships would mm-hmm. come down basically directly south from the islands Sulawesi to the north coast, um, um, and interacting with young speaking people um, who would sell them uh, and trade with them, uh, what are they called, trepang, which is sea cucumber. But apart from that, also things like seashells and pearls and things like that. In return, they would get things like rice, and they would get things like knives, and it's just... um really interesting to hear about the fact that young speaking people end up migrating to South Sulawesi and vice versa. And you have sort of mixing of languages and mixing of cultures and, um, and bloodlines. And I just find yeah. that really interesting. And then you scroll Definitely. down and then someone else, um, sorry, I, I should credit who posted that. That was, uh, Nathan Sentence, uh, Nathan Woodie Sentence, um, who's on Twitter as Say what Nathan, mm-hmm. Um, and you might be familiar with their work. Um, then you also have people directing you to Dark EMU, which is a great book and everyone should read it. Um I won't go too much on that. Um uh and then there's uh talking about even earlier um European traders who came to um came to these shores and you know didn't set down colonial roots. It's just really interesting. You hear about, you know, uh Chinese traders from mm. from the 15th, 15th and 16th century. I mean, a lot of Definitely, this is very yeah. theoretical because a lot of the history has been lost uh, or erased intentionally, but um, this is something I'm going to keep digging into because I just find it so Definitely. interesting. Um, no, it's fascinating. It's a different yeah. perspective because mm.
2: um, we get fed a very boring narrative in schools, which yep. is... Uh, Uh, we we get a touch, a brief touch on uh, indigenous populations Mm. and how long they've been in Australia. And then Mm. we get a huge amount of colonization and the gold rush and we're submerged in that. So really having a look back at the actual history and the the, uh, galvanized trade routes and relationships that were going on in this area, Mm. absolutely fascinating. It deserves much of a spotlight.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so um, it's... uh, you know, it's it's Twitter, so it seems kind of um <laughs> flighty and silly, but also this is a useful historical um resource. resource. Yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> resource. <laughs> um and so if you want to find out, I'm afraid you will have to use the internet and you'll have to get onto Alana Lenton. <laughs> um Alina Lenten A L A N A L E N T I N and the whole Twitter chain, um where they ask for information about um pre-colonial international relations with um, First Nations people. Fascinating. Um, It's it's limited. So if you have information, maybe go and contribute and um – yeah, that's, that's all I have to say.
2: That's fantastic. Um, for my alternative news, I'm just going to touch on a story we covered last week. Last week we were talking about uh, Adani's second breach in two years, mm. uh, dumping a lot of coal-contaminated water into a lot of protected Australian lands. Uh, this week I come back to you with the fact that protesters have shut down Adani operations for six days during a week-long event. So this is just over the kind of last week, but the update I have is that um, seven activists from across Australia um, basically took action against Adani. The seven scaled fences, evaded drones, locked themselves to rail infrastructure and suspended themselves from trees and tripods to block coal trains from entering the port. Before being arrested by police, they also shared their actions in real time. Uh, You can go to a few websites and see uh, pictures of them basically sitting in the trees and sitting in these big tripods that they've set up um but yeah that's just a little bit of an update about that 75 hours during a week of non-violent direct action continuous Mm. shutdown that was there was 75 hours of continuous shutdown for adani operations Mm. at least in that area so there you go there's some noise being made by some really committed activists and that's Mm. absolutely fantastic to see beautiful um oh and sorry i almost forgot my last one I'm just touching on modern slavery. Mm. So, um, this article I'm reading currently, or this article I've been reading, I should say, um, touches on basically slavery in Australia and around the world. Now, it's been written by, um, one moment. It's been written by, um, the IPNS News, which is the Interpress Service. Uh, And it says, slavery is not a thing of the past. It still exists uh, today, affecting millions. It's a really fantastic little article because it's talking not only about uh, slavery and worker exploitation, but also the cultures we're setting up with um, refugee policy and how we're basically pulling people into this system where they're going to be forced to be almost exploited and, and very, very vulnerable to slavery and that sort of stuff. Um, if you are interested at all uh, in learning a bit more about the global kind of slavery epidemic and also slavery in Australia, there's an absolutely fantastic um, website called the Global Slavery Index. And you can look that up to specifically find out Australia, which will which will let you know that about from 2018 estimates, there's about 15,000 people living in slavery conditions in Australia. Um, and that's modern slavery. So that can take as the... Inquiry said that can be hidden in plain sight. So, people being, you know, brought over into Australia and their passports being ripped up, people living on wages that are below living conditions. Um, they really do occur all over the place. And I just wanted to take this moment to uh, remind you we have covered it on Wednesday breakfast, but the modern slavery bill that is currently in Australia does very, very little to attach to, to kind of attack this growing number. Um, it is one of the biggest trades in the world, is modern slavery. And the fact that Australia is lagging behind where it should be leading out front with this policy is really, um, I don't know, disappointing to me. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's that's my few updates.
0: On which note, I think um, it might be time to throw to our first segment before we promised you um, a segment from In- um, Indigenous Rights Radio, mm-hmm. which um, is produced uh, out of southern Canada. Um, and cool. so we're going to be hearing um actually from from a piece that they produced over in South Africa where um a woman named uh Dugi um is known to have uh died from starvation and dehydration because she was denied access by um by supposed wildlife protectors mm. from accessing her traditional hunting lands and accessing her water um the story is uh, given better justice in the in the um Segment itself, so I might just hold off giving more information and just uh, let us all listen in.
3: Indigenous Rights Radio, because knowledge is power.
4: In the month of March, we commemorate two very important international days Zero Discrimination Day on March 1st, as well as International Women's Day on March 8th. Zero Discrimination Day was first launched by UNAIDS Executive Director Michael Sidibe on February 27, 2014. The first official celebration being March 1 of that same year. The days of particular importance by organizations such as UNDP, the United Nations Development Programme, who paid tribute to members of the LGBTI community living with HIV and AIDS who face discrimination. Other important events include a Remembrance Day held by Armenian-Americans in 2015 in order to remember victims of the Armenian Genocide. Then on March 8th, this year's theme for International Women's Day is Balance for Better. This day is held annually to celebrate the achievements of women and to also call for gender equality. So how are indigenous peoples discriminated against? And furthermore, how are indigenous women discriminated against? In this program, we pay homage to Khorokhlu Tuhi, a sand woman from Botswana who died from starvation and dehydration because access to a water well in the desert had been taken away from the sand people. Researcher Abdul Hadid from the Kora
5: people tells us more. <coughs> Uh, Good morning, everyone. My name is Abdul. I'm a Kora man. I come from from then. I was born there as well. I wanted to talk to you about old Khorokhlu Duchi, who was a woman, old woman. Uh, I'm going to talk about the struggles of our people that still continues from our bordering states of our country. Our indigenous communities are threatened from living their indigenous way of life. The Botswana government, much like a colonial government in South Africa back in the day, deny excess food and excess hunting rights from our people. The brave old woman by the name of Khorokhlu Duchi have experienced the amount of abuse from your wildlife scouts who normally were... Um, were heavily armed and there will normally be uh, a case where she was beaten up by these wildlife scouts. Our people were permitted to have hunting licenses to hunting in their ancestral land. Water reservoirs are armed by your uh, armed guards to prevent our people from accessing uh, water reservoirs. So after old uh, Khorokhu have been beaten up For years, by your armed uh, wild life scouts, she gave up, and by 2005 she died from dehydration and starvation as the cause. She was survived by her grandfather, Moed, who traveled to Gambia to ask the African Commission Human Rights for help. Since then, Mm -hmm. after the death of his grandmother, he had been denied the access to leave the country. And the state of our people, regarding their livelihood in Botswana, have been languished in the resettlement camps, some call it the places of death. The indigenous society in, in Botswana have, have been experiencing it. it is such as what our ancestors have experienced in the course of the colonial uh, era back, back in the day. By then the situation was much different because uh, if we're talking in regards to our our resistance in, the, in, the, in that case, we, our ancestors were heavily armed and they had access to weapons as much as we read about these wildlife scouts that are heavily armed. So it, it was quite easy because this is our territory. We don't seek uh, anything from invaders. From giving us access to do or not what to do with our ancestral land the problem is with our people now we're having a state such as Botswana that is more filled with constitutional rights that have been developed from your uh, from your high courts from your politicians and so forth uh, certain rights that prevent people especially in the Kalahari area From making means and because our people from that part of that world they are not seeking for anything but just water reservoirs and the right to hunt in their ancestral land because they are not subjected to any uh, or any urban lifestyle that our common man at this age would subject himself into they are rather for homage to their ways of their ancestral ways so however in this case uh, we are surrounded with uh, human rights violation of our people but the salutation goes to uh, Kaidas Dukis uh, for her bravery because she constantly was brave enough to take up a beating and all those abuses, abuses that she had sustained from your wildlife scouts who were abusing her however it is a state of uh, emergency especially regarding our people in that part of that land due to they are facing threatening situations we need our people we need to support our people and we need to pay salutation to to uh, our our, our heroes by the name of Horoglu Duki. as a result that she stood up and she took up her life in order in order to, to allow access for their people up, uh, through all harsh conditions that she was surrounded with and I'm saying to all of you uh, this is her remembrance, this is my way of remembering her for all the efforts that she took back then and I still salute her for the bravery that she took during the course of uh, the oppression that her faced.
4: On Zero Discrimination Day and International Women's Day Cultural Survival remembers Khorokhlu Duchi. For more information on the rights of indigenous peoples, check out our website, CS.org, and visit Cultural Survival on Facebook and Twitter.
1: You're listening to 3CR Radio. It's Meg from City Limits here. On the first Wednesday of every month, we talk about transport on City Limits. Well, next week is March the 6th, and it's just before International Women's Day. So Eugenia and I have a special show for you. you We'll be talking about transport from a women's perspective. So listen in on March the 6th at 9am for a special episode of City Limits. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore. Giving a voice to both Western colon and colon First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and Dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats 11 a.m. Tuesdays on 3CR.
2: And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. You're in the studio with Idwin um, and Will this morning. You're not in the studio. That's a bit weird. It'd be a bit creepy. You're listening in to us in the studio. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Um, so I'm just going to give us a rundown of the coming up International Women's Day, which is coming up on this Friday, the 8th of March. So... Uh, 3CR here will be having a very special broadcast, and I thought I'd run us through some of the things that will be going on. So at uh, we start off the morning at about 7, to 30, uh, 7 o'clock to 8.30 with Friday Breakfast, which will be presented by Green Left Radio, uh, Ma- Megan Street. And there'll be kind of alternative information, but with a special focus kind of on women's uh, rights and stuff like that. Before that, we'll also be having um, 6 to 7 a.m., is it time for women to strike? A reporting from the Union Women's Conference in 2019 with Stick Together's Annie. Um, be, that will be looking kind of more into women's essential and crucial role in our economy and society and both their paid and unpaid work, so that should be interesting. Uh, Just before that, we'll also have a rerun from 5.30 to 6 o'clock of Accent of Women, which is kind of a show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds with a commitment to progressive politics, um, kind of really focusing on ethnic women and people interested in issues by and about women from, yeah, these diverse backgrounds. Um, And then, so we've gone, I've kind of gone backwards from breakfast, but after breakfast at 8.30... We'll be having a look at Beyond Zero um, Science and Solutions, and that will be focusing in on kind of climate change, but again, doing it from this kind of different sort of female perspective, which should be fascinating. Uh, Nine to ten o'clock, we'll have Equity and Justice for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Women. So that will be recordings from Women's Health, West International Women's Day, um, and kind of having a look at uh, Antoinette, uh, Celeste and Lydia Thorpe uh, talking about their experiences and stories within this community. 10 to 12 p.m. we'll have the Black Blocks' Viv and Black Noise Radio's Black Betty present Black and Deadly, uh, First Nations women who will be playing a whole bunch of really cool music and interviews. Uh, 12 to 2 we'll be having Music Matters. And then uh, 2 to 4, Burning Vinyl, and 4 to 5, Supporting Our Sisters, Songs with Stinky. This program will focus on women. Supporting women in Melbourne's music scenes are featuring founder of music mummers Cat O, and the creative Women Who Rock in Melbourne, Marilyn Ross. So they'll be good for some of those free gigs and <laughs> that Will and I were talking about before. 5 o'clock to 5.30, we'll be having Refugee Women's Voices, and then... to 6.30 we'll have a live broadcast of the speeches at the International Women's Day Rally on the steps of the State Library of Victoria. And just with a special shout out with this one, if you could get down to the march, it'll be at 5.30 um, outside the State Library and it'll be a fantastic thing to get along down to. Uh, Apart from that, the rest of the day will be kind of business as usual but there'll be this huge focus uh definitely here at the station and if you're if you're wanting to listen into different voices and different perspectives on this topic definitely tune in because it'll be one of the things 3cr prides itself on is getting voices from our community not just the ones you hear you know touted on touted on tv so um the theme for this international women's day is balance and gender equality in all aspects, and yeah, it'll be absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I'm looking forward to it as well, It's especially because on a lot of mainstream media, you get a lot of tokenism on International Women's Day. You do. Yeah. You
2: do. It's, it's very much um, made into a yet another consumerist product, which mm. is completely devoid of it's any of the original values, mm. and completely made for, yeah, pushing the same paradigms you've always seen, so... Beautiful.
4: Well,
0: I'm looking forward to Friday, and you should Definitely. be as well. Um, so next up, we're going to be, instead of hearing from Professor Libby Porter, we may hear from her later on, um, we're going to be hearing another Indigenous Rights Radio segment. Oh, cool. um, I just wanted to bring this one in because it seems especially relevant. Um, this is about um, Indigenous communities and food. So um, Indigenous communities know how to live with their land. They've lived on their land for thousands of years, especially here in Australia, the First Nations um, are aware of the importance of biodiversity mm-hmm. and um, working with the land to get your food and so this is from a forum that happened a couple of years ago this is a uh, biodiversity and indigenous food expert Frank Roy who's being interviewed um, who comes from northeast India and uh, it would just be interesting to to hear uh, his points of view and his expertise so let's listen in
3: remember your children remember our future remember Your children remember Mother Nature. Indigenous Rights Radio. Because knowledge is power.
6: It has been well accepted that biodiversity protection can help tackle climate change and the poverty the world has been facing today. The fact is also that 75% of the world's biodiversity is found on the land and territories of indigenous peoples. This biodiversity is maintained by indigenous peoples as a result of their unique approach of living respectfully and in reciprocity with the land that the terrorists and the viable ways of producing food for millennia by balancing their activity and environment. They also have unique practices and knowledge systems to grow food and also to protect the environment but today the indigenous food system suffers major challenges as it is not being recognized as an important system for the global community. Their collective land rights have not been recognized. The development of protected areas has driven out too many indigenous peoples from their land and territories. Enough attention has not been paid to the role that indigenous peoples can play for the world food security, says Kasi indigenous and biodiversity activist Frank Ray at the Slow Food Conference recently held in Italy. Frank Ray, who comes from northeast India, Silong,
7: It's important to recognize that today the world is beginning to accept that biodiversity is very, very important for climate change and what is happening today. And that is, the more we preserve our biodiversity, the better is our chance of having uh, the survival of some of the challenges of climate change that we face. But when we recognize that, we also have to remind people that 75% of the biodiversity of the world is with indigenous peoples. A fact that is often forgotten or never highlighted. But another factor that is often forgotten is that this biodiversity that has been maintained for hundreds and thousands of years is the result of an approach of indigenous communities where food is a connecting link between the people and the environment around them. And around that food, they have created practices and knowledge systems uh, and relationships that have helped both to grow the indigenous food system, but also to protect the environment. Unfortunately, indigenous food systems suffer from a major uh, challenge. The first challenge is that it is not being recognized, is not being acknowledged as an important system for the global. The second, the land rights and the rights of indigenous farmers to grow their own food systems, as has happened in Mizoram in Northeast India where people have been asked not to do shifting cultivation has been a pattern of try and attempt to modernize uh, culture and uh, in some areas the development of protected areas in, for animals etc have driven people out of their lands so how can we maintain our indigenous food system against these challenges this is one of the problems that we face and one of the aspects that we need to pay attention as indigenous communities, in addition to many of the roles that we do. Unfortunately, I think we're not paying enough attention
6: to this very, very important role for food security that indigenous people can play. The population of indigenous communities around the world today is between 400 to 450 million, which is more than the population of US or of Europe. If they were of one country, they would have been one of the world's largest countries. The UN has set the MBC's goal to achieve food security and reduce hunger by the year 2030, without much attention to indigenous peoples. Therefore, there is need to map out the varieties of spaces indigenous peoples grow according to their traditional food system and food production, and equally there is need to give recognition to their indigenous knowledge system. Further, it's activist Roy. If we are going
7: to have food security and reduce hunger by the year 2030 without much attention to indigenous people, this will be a paper tiger. And therefore we feel that we need to do. But what do we need to do? I think first and foremost, we need to look and understand and map out what are the different species that indigenous people uh, grow and support. What is their production level? Is the research that uh, they are doing uh, in the various research centers of any concern uh, on, uh, of indigenous issues? Or is the traditional knowledge of indigenous peoples being kept and maintained and respected? Uh, so that it too may grow. And what about the connections between traditional knowledge and contemporary science? That is one major sort of problem. The second is an issue of the bottlenecks that we face. Even though we live amidst a biodiversity, indigenous communities still have uh, deficiency in micronutrients. And this is a major challenge because uh, We have all the nutrients that are needed for our body but we are not able to take advantage either because of some cultural practices or because of modernization that seems to uh, give a promotion of fast food or commercialized crops. So the introduction of a nutrition sensitive indigenous food system
6: is really the high call of today's world that we need. Many indigenous peoples live in the tropics where there is very high rainfall. Biodiversity expert Frank Ray says the system of shifting cultivation is probably the most sensible way to protect land and various biodiversity spaces so that the rain does not wash away the soil. In the areas where indigenous peoples are pastoralists, the way they have looked at the land and practiced food production is sustainable. It's true that lately natural disasters, including climate change, have threatened them. This is an area where indigenous knowledge and contemporary science should work together and solve some of these problems. Most indigenous peoples,
7: or the the large majority of indigenous people, live in the tropics. And in the tropics where there's very high rainfall, The system of shifting cultivation is probably the most sensible way of doing it, where you protect the lands through your various biodiversity species so that the rain does not wash away all the soils. We have to begin to understand the importance of soils for climate change, for carbon sequestration. We have to understand Uh, the importance of those species various uh, lives that are there uh, in the soils and only when we do that we will have indigenous people have an understanding and we need to strengthen that or fill the gaps that is important in the area where they are pastoralists the way in which they have uh, looked at the land, the way they've looked at their food production has been a very sustainable method Uh, it's true that climate change is is giving a a challenge that probably we have not thought about but surely this is an area where indigenous knowledge with contemporary science can work together and
6: solve some of, uh, of these problems. Indigenous peoples have collective rights to land which needs to be protected because it is their rights and also because they are the custodians of the biodiversity which means that many indigenous people see their relationships in terms of responsibilities instead of rights. The land is also the basis of their food, culture, enjoyment and well-being. It is also important to pay the attention to increasing their productivity of the food, that they grow and respect their food culture, concludes Frank Ray.
7: It's very important that their right to land has to be protected because it's their right It's also important because they are the custodians of the biodiversity because it is also the basis of their connection with their food which is also the basis of their culture, the basis of their enjoyment, the basis of their well-being and I think it's very important also that we pay attention to helping them and in sort of increasing the productivity of those items that they eat and also of taking a look at some of those aspects that we today seem strange but which are very important for example many communities uh, use insects as part of their food species Uh, that may make sense even for the world at large to we start looking in terms of protein
6: supply into our systems. For more on indigenous rights, visit cs.org rights.
1: Remember your children, remember our future.
3: Remember your
1: children, remember modern Nature.
0: You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. The time right now is 744 Stay tuned.
8: The annual Flavours Festival on this March celebrates culture from around the globe with
9: cooking demonstrations by Celebrity sweet creator and Apollo View and Greg Hampton from Charcoal Lane showcasing native ingredients and flavours. It's free and family-friendly with music by Black Jesus Experience, Indigenous hip-hop projects, and many more. Flavors Festival, Saturday, March 16th, from 3pm at Greville Street, Pran, Proudly presented by the City of Stonington.
1: A 3CR supporter.
9: Great international Women's Day with
1: 3CR. On Friday the 8th of March, we'll bring you 24 hours of non-stop radio by, for and about women. Join 3CR's fabulous women
6: playing music from both local and international musicians in metal, electronica, to rock and everything in between. Wake up to
9: early morning current affairs from our national broadcasters followed by a whole morning dedicated to
1: First Nations voices and a special live broadcast from the Rally at the State Library between 5.30 and 6.30pm. For the full day's program, visit our website at 3cr.org.au.
9: International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast, Friday the 8th of March, 2019. Tune in at 8.55am, 3CR digital, and streaming at 3cr.org.au.
0: You are listening to 3CR Community Radio, and this is Wednesday Breakfast. Mm. Um, shall we head straight into an interview? Yes, yeah, shall After it. all, okay. So, uh, you may have heard in the news that there have been fires raging across um, Gippsland for the last few days. Um, since uh, for, for the last few days um, in Bunyip State Park and in Bunyip region in general um and so a result of this is that there's a lot of particulate matter in the air there's a lot of um smoke flying around and so asthma australia have put out a uh, a health warning uh, around this and i thought it might be good to get michelle Goldman, who's the ceo of asthma australia on the phone to tell us a little bit more about that good morning michelle good morning good morning thank you for joining us on wednesday breakfast my
9: pleasure
0: uh, so just to give us a bit of an understanding, um, what was the, the health um, warning that Asthma Australia put out? What, what, what are we watching out for?
9: Well, smoke is a very common trigger for asthma. So in the event of the bushfires that are currently occurring, we just like to ensure that all people with asthma are being extremely, mani- uh, extremely vigilant in managing their condition, um, avoiding unnecessary exposure to the smoke if they can so help it, Um, and just making sure they've got their reliever on hand, so if they have any symptoms, they can address them quickly.
0: Absolutely. Now, we know that the fires are localised to Gippsland, um, and uh, so um, is it really only people in this region who should worry about um, their asthma being triggered, or is this a wider danger that people even in in, um, Melbourne can watch out for?
9: Well, it's really hard to predict what the weather will do and you never know when the wind might change, the direction of the wind or the strength of the wind. So um, I think people need to be able to judge for themselves um, how they're feeling. Smoke also is is not something that's always visible. Um, So we would just encourage people in the direct area to be extremely vigilant and for any others in surrounding areas, just to be a little bit more aware of any symptoms they might be experiencing Um, and certainly not to dismiss any symptoms, whether it's wheezing or breathlessness or a persistent cough that won't go away. They can all be symptoms of asthma and if anyone experiences any of those things, we'd encourage them to um, take some reliever medication.
0: Absolutely. Now, I'm not asking you to be a meteorologist, but I'm fairly certain that you're aware of Melbourne's um, famous weather. Um, we're, we're experiencing a little bit of rain at the moment. Will um, rain, in the case of particular matter, um, help to relieve the, the risk of things like asthma attacks?
9: Um, it's hard to predict. I, I think anything which helps to reduce both the amount of smoke in the air, so if, mm. if rain can help with the firefighters in reducing the bushfires, or simply even if it helps to dissipate the smoke, then that could be helpful. Um, But once again... Hello? Sorry, can you hear me? Sorry, yeah, you cut out for
0: just a moment. Could you please repeat what you were saying?
9: Um, Everyone's affected by asthma differently, so we just encourage individuals to... um, be extremely vigilant, aware of any symptoms or any feelings that are outside of the normal that could be signs of their asthma getting worse and to take action.
0: Mm. So a big part of the message is to trust your own body and listen to it. Listen to the fact that you're having trouble breathing, then you should pay attention to that and use your um, blue or grey reliever. Well, my question is, um, if you don't know that you have asthma, because there have been cases of the high pollen count causing people who haven't mm. had symptoms in the past, suddenly noticing that they're having trouble breathing, um, what, what? I don't know, it's really hard to explain, what are you looking out for in your own body?
9: That's an excellent question, and, and absolutely. In the case of the thunderstorm asthma events in November 2016, up to 40% of people had never had asthma before. Um, they were hay fever sufferers. The pollen that normally gets trapped in our upper airways, in our nose and our mouth, um, actually travelled deeper into the airways to cause asthma. So the common symptoms are breathlessness, wheezing. It could manifest itself as a tightness in the chest. Or again a persistent cough. So if anyone experiences any of those symptoms and it is unusual for them, um, don't dismiss it, Um, be aware, visit your GP, ask could it be asthma and just address it before things could potentially get worse.
0: Okay I think that's a really good message. Now um, it might be good to uh, pass on some advice for family and friends. Um, If you have a child who you're not aware has asthma, uh, or if you are looking after an elderly elderly person um, who has trouble communicating their needs, um, is there something that we should be listening out for in in the breath of someone who you think might have asthma or might be experiencing symptoms?
9: Yeah, look, children and the elderly are more vulnerable. Uh, The same concentrations of smoke are more potent in smaller lungs or in aging lungs. So, once again, I think anyone who shows any signs of being unwell, we should be attending to their needs and trying to work out what's going on. Um, And part of what can be in our consideration set is um, any signs that relate to asthma symptoms uh, could potentially mean asthma.
0: Fantastic. So I think that's great information to pass on. Just a reminder to folks: if you are feeling um, that you're having a serious asthma attack, then don't hesitate to call triple zero if you're in an emergency situation. Otherwise, um, it's just good enough to to have your your Ventolin on you. Is that right?
9: Yeah. Make sure you've got your Ventolin on you or your reliever medication at all times uh, when they're uh, when they're um greater concentrations of smoke or if pollen is your trigger, if it's a high pollen count day, always make sure you've got your reliever on hand and um, just be vigilant. Don't ignore any symptoms. Address them quickly. Don't let them blow out to a, a, a really threatening asthma attack. As I always say to people, you can live without food for weeks, water for days, but air for only minutes. So... If, if your airways are becoming more narrow and it's getting difficult to breathe, it's something you need to attend to immediately.
0: Absolutely. Don't ignore your body. Thank you so much, Michelle Goldman, CEO of Asthma Australia, for joining us on the show.
9: Thanks for having me.
0: Have a lovely day. You are listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We're going to play some community service announcements and we'll be right back with a live in-studio interview. So uh, stay tuned. Kevin Hines Grow delivers gardening and nature-based programs to people of all ages and all abilities. Our programs provide great opportunities for positive personal development and well-being. The Kevin Hines Grow Autumn Fair and Open Day is on Saturday the 30th of March, 9am to 3pm at 39 Weatherby Road, Doncaster. Come along and stock up on plants at our community nursery or learn more about our programs. See you there! Kevin Hines Grow is a 3CR supporter.
4: You're listening to 3CR, this is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party, Power to the People.
0: (laughs) Anna Minhunak, voice of the Palestinian diaspora, bringing news, views, and stories about the Palestinian refugees in Australia and around the world in Arabic language. The show, which means in English, I am from there, also highlights the beauty and richness of the Palestinian and Arab culture. Tune in for Anna Minhunak every Monday ten PM to eleven PM on Radio three C R eight hundred and fifty five AM
1: International Women's Day with 3CR On Friday the 8th of March we'll bring you 24 hours of non-stop radio by, for and about women Join 3CR's fabulous women and genderqueer broadcasters as we talk with talented Melbourne musicians songwriters, storytellers and activists making a difference Featuring a special live broadcast from the 2019 International Women's Day Rally at the State Library between 5.30 and 6.30pm. For the full day's program, visit our website at 3cr.org.au.
9: International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast, Friday the 8th of March, 2019. Tune in at 8.55am, 3CR
1: digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. If you share the growing concern about racism, fascism and the move to the extreme right, come along to our forum on a Bill of Rights for Australia on Sunday the 17th of March at the Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne, commencing at 11am. Speakers include Professor Gillian Triggs, Professor Rob Watts, Julian Burnside QC and the Human Rights Law Centre. RSVP 2, admin at melbourneunitarian.org.au Our democratic rights are under threat. If you care, be there. The Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church is a 3CR supporter.
0: The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts for just
1: one example. This is a public service announcement! Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly, unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50 a.m. on Monday Bricky for Over the Wall.
2: And you're listening to 3CR. It's just coming up to 8 o'clock and we have our next interview on. So a little bit of backstory in this. In an attempt attempt to address kind of international commitments under our international uh, treaty, the Paris Agreement, and address climate change's ever-increasing effect on Australia, especially leading up to the federal election, Scott Morrison has recently announced his new climate change fund, and it's safe to say this has been met with wide scepticism, many calling it kind of a rehash of the direct action plan. We have Suzanne from the Australian Conservation Foundation this morning to kind of tell us more. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning, and thanks for coming into our studio. It's lovely to have you here. Um, The PM has committed about $200 million to this new climate change fund. Could you kind of give us an idea of what it seeks to do?
8: Yeah, so you're right. This new climate fund, they're calling it the the Climate Solutions Fund, Mm -hmm. is just a rebadging. It's it's renaming an old policy. And if you think back to when Tony Abbott became prime minister, this is a number of years back in 2013, he abolished the carbon price, and since that time, this government has really sat on – climate action. Mm -hmm. There are a whole lot of different policies that are out there waiting to be established, but um, very little has been done. What he did do at that time when he got rid of the carbon price, which was actually quite effective, uh, he established something called the direct action plan. Um, That was about taking taxpayer money and paying for little specific pieces of pollution reduction, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely a drop in the bucket. Absolutely um, inadequate to deal with the real pollution problem that we've got in this country. Um, which is driven by coal. It's driven by digging up and burning coal. But that direct action plan um, did nothing uh, for, yeah, for yeah. coal. It did nothing for transitioning our energy sector, our biggest source of climate pollution. What it did was um, it established two things. Uh, one was an emissions reduction fund, and that's what's been rebadged here. So that was something that would put up some money uh, that could be accessed sort of through an auction system. So mm-hmm. say you're a landholder or you're a small a business that will um, change out light bulbs or um, you're willing to t- plant some trees. There are a number of different ways that you could Offset create. almost. Y- yeah, mm. you, can, you can create what's called these carbon credits, Australian um, carbon, carbon credits. Mm -hmm. and and then you can sell those to the government. So that's what they did. And over all these years um, that that has been in place, it has done very little, a little bit. Um, so you can't say nothing, a little bit. So, okay, it has a very small place in a much mm. bigger package of climate policies. But over that time, what we've seen is our climate pollution has gone up and up and up every single year. We've just seen the latest latest data. It's going up again. Mm. And in that context, uh, the government has just put more money uh, into that very, same policy and
2: called it its central, you know, this is our central climate policy. This is going to do everything we need to do. Definitely. So just in, I suppose, blatant terms, it doesn't really differ from the DIP at all, this new policy. No, it's, it's more or less the same thing. So they wow. put, it,
8: okay. put some additional money and, in fact, um, a fair chunk of money. So the original amount was two and a half billion dollars. So it looks like overall they may be putting as much as... Two billion more yeah, over ten that's, years. That's yeah. It, yeah, yeah, so so 200 million a year, which um, you know, if put in the right place and the right kind of policy, that could be that could be an effective um, you know contribution. Mm-hmm. However, again, um, putting it into a, a a policy that has really focused on one sector, so that's mainly what it's funded is is land sector things, so tree planting and the, these kinds of things. Which okay, great, uh, but. A very small piece of a pie mm. does not get at our biggest sources of pollution, um, you know, the energy sector, industry, transport, these things, where there are policies waiting. Work has been done, for example, on vehicle emission standards, and they're just sitting on
2: that, absolutely yeah, sitting on that. Definitely. And the discussion about um, the new fund being focused on the wrong sort of sectors, mm. uh, and there being no real shift in, in focus, so they're, they're very much still relying on these land schemes and stuff like that instead of actually switching to a more like industry-based, you know, approach.
8: Yeah, that's right. So while they've said when they rebadged, well, when they created it a, a number of years ago, it mm-hmm. actually started out at what was called a carbon farming initiative. So it was okay. it was uh, a policy that was put in place during the Rudd-Gillard years, and it mm-hmm. was specifically to help um, carbon farming. So it had a purpose. But then when they recreated it as an emissions reduction fund, they said this is going to do everything for the whole economy. Um, so this is going to help us reduce all of our emissions, and yet it really wasn't. It was set up in a different way. Um, so while while it's open to a few other things, it really has the vast majority of what it's done has supported uh, fire management, tree planting, um, sort of land sector improvements, a little bit of energy efficiency, a little bit in the agriculture sector, and a little bit of industry. And, and that's what I want to talk about in a minute because there Definitely. are some dodgy, um, some dodgy things that have happened, it, it appears, under this program. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't see any big changes to the program to fix um, those little problems. Definitely.
2: And it, the criticism coming out of this is it does pander to companies, I suppose. Can you touch on a bit more about how companies can exploit this new policy? Yeah.
8: So when it was put in place as a direct action plan, there were sort of two things, um, this emissions reduction fund and another thing called the safeguard mechanism. And that mm. was going to stop um, the big polluters, um, those that pollute over 100 million tons a year from, say, beating into this fund and then, um, you know, polluting somewhere else. So it was was sort of this backstop mechanism. But in fact, it really hasn't done anything. Baselines were set super high. It's really not impacted very Ah, much. But but still, that that sitting out there is is this policy that they point to. It's not not helping anything. But um, the the emissions reduction fund that they're refunding um, essentially has allowed some companies to bid in, uh, get some benefits from the emissions reduction fund, so they get some payment Mm. um, for reducing emissions, and they're actually sort of double dipping because they're using that to meet their safeguard mechanism requirements. These are companies mm-hmm. that perhaps did overshoot a little bit, um, which is hard to do, honestly, given <laughs> um, how high the base signs are. <laughs> Very true. Um, but for, for a few that have, so we've identified um, a, a large And then there are other uses as well. Companies that have bid in where they're making changes for commercial reasons. Mm. Um, Rio Tinto is one of those that we identified that was um, changing one of their operations in the Northern Territory um, to stop refining aluminum. Very, very energy intensive. Um, Mm -hmm. So they actually were going to get rid of an oil, a big oil facility, and switch over to diesel. Now, this is fossil Mm. fuel to fossil fuel. So in order to make this big switch to another fossil fuel, they bid into the emissions Reduction Fund, and lo and behold, it looks as though they've gotten a couple million dollars of taxpayer money, this massive, you know, (laughs) massive mining company, Mm. just to switch to another fossil fuel. So again, not good use of our climate policy or of our money that's going into reducing climate pollution. So again, while it's focused on one sector, there are these other, these other types of projects that are sort of you know, getting attention. It took a lot of effort also to dig these out because it's very opaque, wow. extremely opaque how this is being done. So we had to do a whole lot of searching to sort of ferret these out and go, okay, we've got some problems here that haven't been addressed. Meanwhile, the government, again, has re-backed in um, this same policy.
2: Yeah, and it feels like a very um, weak policy almost is very much the government bribing companies to supposedly (laughs) hopefully do the right thing. There's a lot of trust being put in that. And that's just part of this narrative of government constantly pandering to companies within Australia. The corporations are the ones polluting How do we address that? Yeah,
8: you have to ask that question. Should Mm. we be paying polluters to um, to to, stop polluting a little bit less, or should we be, um, or should big polluters be having to deal with their own pollution? For example, if we had had a price on carbon and emissions trading scheme, there are lots and lots of different market mechanisms, or even regulations, Mm. where you can say you can't, you know, pollute (laughs) over a certain amount, or you can't be over a certain emissions intensity. Lots and lots of ways of dealing with this problem, particularly with industry. so there are opportunities, but instead to avoid, you know, really targeting the big polluters, mm, and yeah. instead target really small elements of this problem, uh, and then be putting sort of money in place. So we're going to just pay for the pollution reduction. We will never be able to pay our way out of this problem. Mm. It will cost so much money if we tried to deal with all of our massive greenhouse pollutions by paying for every little bit of reduction. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> this would be so many billions of dollars. We have have got to get proper climate policy in yeah. place that actually forces polluters to drive down their pollution. And again, I would say the first stop for that should be um, coal and fossil fuels. Mm. This, is, this is the big driver of climate pollution. Yeah. You know, we've got to get coal out of our system. We've got to stop generating our electricity through coal and stop opening up new coal mines. This is the heart of the problem. Uh, and again this government is absolutely while they've just announced this climate policy yeah, definitely. you know right alongside that they're actually trying to fund with government support mm. new coal-fired power plants mm. through an underwriting scheme. So we know that sitting alongside this alleged climate policy
2: are these other efforts to actually shore up some of the worst offenders when mm. it comes to climate pollution. Definitely definitely. And I suppose um, something mentioned within the climate change funding is that they're committing sorry in the climate change fund is they're committing m- money to kind of smaller initiatives. So they've said that they're throwing money at kind of remote indigenous communities to be assisted with reducing forest fires. Uh, small businesses will be supported to replace lighting, air conditioning, and farmers receive assistance with like revegetation and drought proofing. These are kind of hitting small, low-level kind of things That's not who we need to be targeting, or will that be effective? Well, exactly.
8: So you've 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 hit it right there. Is that you know while those all are nice things, sure. And and I wouldn't say stop you know supporting indigenous (laughs) communities to do fire management. That's that's a that's a great thing. But when you look at the scope of the problem, and genuinely, Australia now the government throws around a lot of numbers, but the reality is that this country has some of the worst, the highest per capita greenhouse Mm -hmm. pollution in the world, like every one of us is responsible for more greenhouse pollution than the average person in most other countries, particularly in the developed world, we've got a really big greenhouse pollution problem. Mm. Um, And that's just from our domestic, you know, pollution, the stuff that that sort of, you know, we burn here. Let's not even talk about our exports, but that's a whole nother matter. So we've got a really big problem. And the other thing is that despite signing the Paris Agreement, our greenhouse pollution is going up. It's mm. trending up, has been since this government got elected. So to to put these tiny little um things in place and then yell, hurrah, we've just addressed climate change is just wrong. Um they haven't. And we're not set up we're all of the the data is showing we're not set up to meet our Paris targets.
2: Yeah. Definitely. And the only reason
8: you know, they keep saying we're meeting and beating our targets. The only reason we're beating um targets that they're pointing to from the Kyoto protocol, is that they were set unbelievably, ridiculously low, Low, just so low. The first target was to increase our pollution, quite frankly. It wasn't even a reduction. Mm. Um, And they're carrying over, carrying over, carrying over, saying, oh, we've overachieved that one. Great. Getting Um, a cookie. for. Let's (laughs) dump it into the next one. And that's how they've managed to say, we're uh, meeting and beating our targets. Definitely. so so they really aren't, um, it's, it's really not proper to take credit for any kind of ambition when it comes mm. to climate change, and then to reduce this policy sort of two minutes to a federal election um, on the back yeah. of very clear, growing community concern. And, and that's a great thing. You know, More and more people are putting up their hands, saying, I'm going to be a climate voter in this election. Um, let's make this a climate election. And it has become a real issue. And that is uh, that is fabulous. That is so good to see people saying, this matters for our future. So we're, you know, that's an exciting thing. And it's sort of forced the government to come out and say, okay, we've got a policy. Mm. Um, whether or not that's a good policy or not is, is a very big definitely, question.
2: Definitely. And we did discuss this. It's fantastic to hear the word climate change being used in our public policy. It's been void for a number of years now. Um, I suppose my last question is a bit of a silly one, but we were ta- discussing just outside um, uh, thinking with price of carbon. The rhetoric around that at the time from the media was the carbon tax how do you think we would spin this one so we can change the Climate Solutions Fund to something that kind of exposes it for what it is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, good word. that's a good
8: question, actually. Um, it certainly isn't the
2: Climate Solutions
8: Fund, because yeah. it's certainly not getting at the whole problem here. Mm. So I would say, you know, renaming, but but more than that, you know, I, w- I would say that bring back the carbon price. Bring back the carbon bring price. Bring back the real policy. Bring back, you know, <laughs> let's do some vehicle emissions standards. Let's address industry's pollution. You know, all of these things, um, let's genuinely um, tackle climate change. And I would say that does that does require a whole suite of policies, not mm. these little teeny drops in the buckets, and, and a real avoidance of the of the big problems.
0: I might just jump in really quickly. We're speaking to Suzanne Harter from the ACF, the Australian Conservation Foundation. I just want to ask you, Suzanne, um, in the coming election. I know it's a bit early to say because not all um, parties and independents have released their policies for the future, but who who looks really promising for you for, uh, for achieving these, these mm-hmm. goals that we've been just speaking about?
8: yeah that's a great question so every uh, election the acf we do quite a, an elaborate scorecarding process so we really start tracking every single commitment made by the parties and we put it into a system and and we do um score them based on our national agenda which has some very strong asks uh, around climate change mm-hmm. so you know, we we're, we're still sort of waiting to see policies so in general you know obviously the greens party is um is, is very um green um so so <laughs> (laughs) As you would imagine, uh, they tend to have very strong policies with regards to climate change, the environment. Um, They haven't released all of their policies there yet, so we're not sure what the full um suite will be. Same thing with the Labour Party. Labour Party put out an energy plan. Now that was a a good step in the right direction. So they made some commitments around transitioning the energy sector. Um, mm. And there were some important things there like um, shoring up the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which is very important. And um so we've gotten a start there, but again we haven't seen their full policy. So we're um we, we haven't been able to gauge entirely where they're all sitting. Um, so you know this 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 policy comes out in the context of others not quite having revealed their full hand Yes. Yeah. But now I would say there are some important uh, independents that are in the mix now. Um, and as you've seen there, are, uh, for example, Karen Phelps in Wentworth, um, Zali Stegel in Warringah. So we're seeing some independents coming out. And part of their platform, a major part of their platform is they want climate action. I think that's also going to help. It's really bringing the issue back into the frame. Um, so that some of these really important contests are going to have climate at, at, in the center.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining it. As we were saying before, policy is sometimes hard to break down. And this one, as we've said before, needs calling out because it's such a rehash of what we've already had. That's right. And it's nowhere near going to meet our targets as a country. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope we get you back on soon. Great. Um, yeah, thanks.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We've been speaking to Suzanne Harter from the Australian Conservation Foundation. Wednesday breakfast. We'll be right back.
3: and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Uh, written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell.
7: Brunswick Music Festival, back for two weeks this March. Featuring international acts, J Jaymascus and Snail Mail. Plus an epic local contingent including... Jazz Party, The Necks, A Swayze and the Ghosts, The Murlocs, Tando, Jade Imagine, Sophie Grofie, Genesis Owusu, Beck Sandridge, Hextet, and so much more. For the full program and tickets, head to brunswickmusicfestival.com.au. Brunswick Music Festival is a 3CR supporter.
1: Marxism 2019 is Australia's biggest socialist conference, taking place this Easter long weekend from April the 18th to the 21st in Melbourne. Marxism 2019 features international and local guest speakers, including award-winning author and activist, Baruz Bouchani. Join over 1,000 activists for crucial discussions on how to resist the rise of the right and rebuild the left. With more than 100 sessions, tickets start at just $35 and are available at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter.
4: Hi, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we are, we are from, from the Voice, Voice of, of West, West Papua. Papua. The Voice of West Papua now has a one hour show. We have moved from Monday 6 30 to Tuesday
5: 6 30 until 7 30 pm. Yes, more news and music from West Papua. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Listen to the voice of Wes Papua, but right now you're listening Mm -hmm. to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. The time right now is 8.16, and I have uh, John Paul Jenke on the line, who is one of the hosts of uh, The Point, which is actually tonight at 8.30 on NITV, Um, and we've got JP on the line just to talk to us a bit about what's going to be on the show tonight and why we should all listen in. Are you there, JP?
10: Good morning. Yes, tonight we're on 8.30. Uh, on NITV.
0: Absolutely, and you can stream that on your um, on your computer as well, is that right?
10: Yeah, you can uh, watch us live through Facebook. I think every, all, the, all the younger generation
0: and
10: the, <laughs> the, the now generation are watching us through social media. So, And, and we find that's a great way for people to post comments and have an interaction um, further than just watching it on the TV. So it's a great way that we receive feedback and um, can look at the
0: comments that are coming through at the same time. Beautiful. So um, I guess just go to Facebook and search for The Point on NITV. Now, I just want to ask you, we have you on the show because we've covered um, the story of the uh, the Barker-Darling River in the past, and it's specifically on something that's in the news quite a lot lately, which is the failing health of the Barker River. Um, can you tell us a bit about Carla Grant? Yeah,
10: well, Carla Grant is uh, one of our senior, well, an iconic media figure uh, in Indigenous Affairs, and she's the executive producer of Living Black um, and has worked with MITV for a long time. So she's been doing some reporting uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, focusing on, I mean, what is only a severe, what, what we should be calling a severe water crisis along the Murray, Darwin and Barwon rivers. And as we've seen over the last couple of months, you know, we've seen horrific images of, of fish kills, dying rivers, Uh, we've had of water shortages in a lot of the towns along the way. So we're going to investigate um, the issues out there and almost ask the question, where's the water from?
0: Yeah, where has the water gone? It's, we hear um, a lot about there's been a royal commission about the mismanagement of the Murray Darling River Basin by the Murray Darling River Basin Authority. Um, do, do we know much about what has actually happened? Is it all just um, their failure to buy back enough water from from, uh, from farmers? Is that what it is, or is there something else going on? Well, I think the crisis
10: has led to quite some, you know, some, quite some dramatic. Uh, Uh, Processes, You know, it's been a catalyst for a a Royal Commission. There's been two independent scientific expert panels. Um, The Federal Labor Party has had its own independent panel look at it. And I think the the coalition government is asking uh, uh, for a second panel to be convened. So there's quite a lot of people looking at this question of what what has happened to the war. The official response to a lot of media a couple of months ago uh, was that... uh, the fish kills and the lack of water in the area in a bit of large severe drought. And the lack of water uh, that is running down the of what they call uh, a low flow has meant that
0: I'm sorry, JP. Uh, it sounds like the signal's quite poor, so we're having difficulty hearing what you're saying. Um, so you're saying that there's um, already a drought, but then there's also low flow, and something's contributing to that. Is that right?
10: Yeah, so, so the official state of is we're in a drought condition, and that, is, that has led to low flows coming down the river. Um, and because of that, drought, those flows have been uh, at their lowest for a long time. So what we've seen is we've seen sections of the, the Barker River, the Darling River, which is Australia's third longest river, and 1,500 kilometres of that is bone dry. So there's Incredible. a lot of communities on that that have no water.
0: And so that includes the, the Barkindji community, um, people who, whose name mean people of the river. Um, there are some really, as you mentioned earlier, compelling images of... Farmers wading into rivers and showing off dead fish. And um, not, not to minimise it, it makes very good viewing on Instagram and it's very eye-catching. But what does it mean for the Barkindji people in particular and for First Nations people across the river that the river is sick?
10: Well, as you're saying, and tonight we're going to... you know, One of the voices that have been missing in the whole uh, sort of debate about the water crisis is the Indigenous voice. And the Barkindji people, as you were saying... Um, Bark, the Bar- the Barker River or the Darling River is actually their mother. So they are from the river. Barker means people from belonging to the river. So for them, it's you know, it's a cultural practice that has been going on for tens of thousands of years. And that river is dominating. So they are they want their voices to be heard. They want to be part of the solutions and the way forward. But their first priority is I want to be heard in this process. In, in 2015, they were given native title rights after an 18-year struggle to get back the land that was not theirs, and that included rights to water. And I understand that they are still waiting for rights to water um, along mm. their own river.
0: Absolutely. I I've, I've was stunned to find um, the, the difference between native title and land rights um, really comes to the fore a lot of the time when you hear about the way in which people are allowed to use land. That native title doesn't necessarily give them the right to a certain level of flow. Is that right?
10: Well, I think under certain uh, acts, they do have rights to, to flow, but okay. they have to—they actually have to have a water allocation, um, and those those are granted. And I think that the faculty are still waiting to uh, fully exercise their their rights they received under the positive native title examination in 2015. But tonight on the show, we talked to. One of the one of the Barkinsy elders and an icon called William Bates, who's better known as Badger Bates, who for most of his life has been falling for the rights of his more out there, And that's included rights to land and rights to water. Now he's a member of the Barkindji Native Title PBC, for Skype Corpus. And he is a icon who is in the last couple of months been, you know, advocating for the Barkindji to be listened to over to water And he's asking the question. Where has the water gone? What's happened to my my river? What's happened to my people? What is the future of the bargainy without the darling now these are some some big questions, and especially when you're talking to towns out in western New South Wales like you know, wentworth death and the canyon Menindi or the club they're running a, you know, um they're relying on on charitable organizations on on this the Eastern Seaboard to bring bottled water into the community. So I can drink water, and I put water in food and water for other things. And this is Australia, and people now our have to rely on bottled water.
0: Um, again, this, the signal's quite poor, but I, I heard you say that communities in Western New South Wales have to rely on charities bringing in bottled water when they live on what's supposed to be the biggest river system, or at least the the most important river system in so-called Australia, um, which is absolutely shocking. Now, I just want to ask, um, it's fair to say that SBS and NITV in particular have been covering the mismanagement of the Barker-Darling River and the the river basin in general for quite a while, but why do you think it's featured so little um, comparatively in news-limited papers and commercial stations? Hello?
10: Hello? Yes, I'm here. I think part of it is that FBS and NITV, uh, have been keen to hear the Indigenous voices in the debate. And a lot of those people live out in those regions. So we're keen to, you know, what's the Indigenous voice of towns where water runs out? What are they, what are they saying? When, when the water is your life, when that river system is part of where you are, huh? how come your voice hasn't been heard? So we're keen to, to bring those voices to the forefront and in that actually unpack um, the issue of Australia's third longest river, the third longest river, with Darwin, the Blacker, is Bram
0: July. Incredible. Um, so tonight, uh, The Point is going to be covering this story, and The Point uh, starts at 8.30 tonight. It's the new time. Um, and we've been speaking to John Paul Jenke, who is one of the co-hosts of um, The Point. Um, JP, thank you so much for joining us on Wednesday Breakfast.
10: Yeah, look, thanks for having me tonight, 8.30, NITV. We talked to uh, William barker Bates, of Barker G. Elder. We talked to a former researcher, um, sorry, a former staffer of the murray Darling Basin Authority, who's now a researcher at the Australian Institute, who has been researching the murray Garland Basin plans for a long time. Uh, we have some really good uh, vision and interviews with people who are living along the Barker River and we highlight the stresses that have come to them and their communities with that river system running below. And importantly, this water crisis has brought together a lot of people from diverse backgrounds, black and white farmers, advocates, activists, Aboriginal white activists, and they all want the question to be answered, what's happened to the water?
0: Absolutely, and we'll find out tonight, 8.30 on uh, NITV. You can also look them up on Facebook, where um, mm. you can watch it on Facebook Live. Um, and we'll thank JP for coming on the show. Thank you, JP. Thanks very much. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast.
2: You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. And it just um, caught me with, with the mention of fires this week mm. that um, if anyone is interested in finding out a little bit more, they can go to emergency.vic.gov.au. And that has uh, not only a prepare and get ready little module telling people how to mm. kind of make sure that they're ready to go, but also, more importantly, the incidents and warnings sheet. So that will keep you up to date with live updates about fires. And just if you are in those areas, you know, keeping an eye in.
0: Mm. I think a lot of the people um, in, in and around the Bunyip State Park region will have already decided whether Definitely. they want to stay or go because the fires have been Definitely. going for quite a while. But I'm um, if you aren't in the area, obviously don't go there. Um, don't go there. it's a very popular route, yeah. coastal route going towards Sydney. Don't mm. do that. <laughs> um, just be sensible, I suppose is the, the message. Um, this is the end of our show. Definitely. Um, yeah. It is 8.27. <laughs> so, um, Quick. I think we come to an important, oh sorry, you were going to say something. No, no,
2: Will, you go for it.
0: Well, we come to an important part of our show, don't we? We do indeed. <laughs> we come to our thank you. Yes. Um, can I, can I say that I'm grateful for NITV. Which is a really fantastic um, source of news, um, focusing on Indigenous voices and First Nations people in Australia, and um, and for the fact that it's so accessible and it's so relatively well funded um, compared to other Indigenous news outlets because it's part of SBS. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be logging into Facebook Live. Like, I hate that I have Facebook, but I love that they're making use of a a really evil platform to do some good. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: Um, I'm going to say thank you for the rain. I'm really excited because I've planted a whole bunch of things. I've been keeping them alive through this horrible hot week we've had. And, um, I can't wait for my seedlings to finally (laughs) grow under some lovely nourishing rain. Um, We've had a wonderful packed show today. Mm -hmm. Just a shout-out to the people we've had on the show. We've had Michelle Goldman from um, Asthma Australia, Mm -hmm. uh, Suzanne Harter from the Australian uh, Conservation Foundation, and just then we had Jean-Paul Jenky Jenky, so J.P.
0: um, Host of The Point on NITV. Just a reminder, again, 8.30 p.m. tonight. Tonight. We're looking forward also to, uh, just because we've got a minute left, um, to talk very quickly about the fact that International Women's Day is on the 8th of March, and we're dedicating 24 hours of radio to women only, um, and that's all women. Topics, issues,
2: everything, intersectional perspectives, all round. It'll be absolutely fantastic coverage, Mm -hmm. and if you can't tune in, or if you're tuning in and you want to do more, come along to the 5.30 March, that'll be So much fun. Do you know where that is? Uh, State Library. State Library, 5.30 on on Friday. On Friday. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, And with that, next up is Stick Together. It's been a lovely Wednesday, Will. It Uh, has. I hope you and the listeners have a wonderful day.
0: Have a lovely day, everyone. Bye. (laughs)
6: Bye.
1: Panoply? Panorama? Panpipe? Pansy?
6: Aha! Pansexual!
1: 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on
2: air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, NIBS, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419
9: 8377.